for hearing our prayers. We ask for a special blessing on the schools in this area, Lord, uh, on the teachers and on the principals and on the staff. And Lord, would you put your presence in those places? We pray for protection for the children and also that your, uh, your word would go out of there and that children's lives that are now just beginning to blossom would be found rooted in you, God. And we thank you for those who work tirelessly for our children's sake, for their education. Please bless them and be with close to them, Lord. And thank you for Sylvia, and thank you for that testimony, Lord. We give you honor and glory because you are the God who heals. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, praise God. Let's, uh, I have now about three weeks uh, of preaching uh, a short series for you, and then we are going to be gone for a week at convention is in late May uh, down in Nashville. So our, our denomination, which is the Foursquare Church, in case you didn't know, we're a Foursquare Church. People are like, was that the game or is that like the app? It's neither. It's something totally different and cool. Um, so we are Foursquare because we believe in f- that Jesus is our Savior, our baptized in the Holy Spirit, our healer, and our soon-coming king. Um, I think actually those are supposed to be flipped. We'll have to change that, I think. How is it down here? Yeah, I think it's, isn't it Savior Baptist? Okay, anyways, whatever. We'll find out at convention. Um, So I have three weeks I want to preach a short sermon series to you guys, and it's out of 1 Corinthians. It's one of my favorite epistles, and it's one of my favorite spots in 1 Corinthians. So if you would open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians 11, if you have a Bible, if you don't, that's all right. I'm going to read it to you anyways. And... um, we're going to start in chapter 11, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to, today is going to be like a more chill day, just because we had some awesome fun the last two weeks, and my voice is gone, so we're just going to chill and read some scripture together, and I'm going to talk about it. Is that okay with you? I sure hope so, because that's what we're doing. So, um, I, but what I, what I want to do is, in this short series, we're going to look at basically three things. We're going to look First today at, at the Lord's Supper. Uh, next week we're going to look at spiritual gifts. And then the week after that we're going to look at um, this section, the end of chapter 12 where, where Paul talks about what it means to be one body with many members, which is sort of about unity. And um, uh, we're, we're going to use these things. You know, this is, this is going to be much more instructive. Sometimes I, I preach sermons that are more like, you know, I'm trying to, show you something. This is going to be like more instructive, just FYI. Uh, it's going to be about how we should think, how should we should approach these things. Because I think a lot of people, especially spiritual gifts, uh, you know, you can go to a Pentecostal church and sometimes be really turned off by the demonstration of spiritual gifts. And when I say spiritual gifts, I mean things like speaking in tongues, healing, which is what we talked about today, prophecy, uh, miracles, that kind of thing. Those sorts of wonderful manifestations of the Spirit can be presented in such a way that makes them very unpalatable to people. And I understand because I've been in services before and been like, ooh, I don't like, this is too far beyond what I am willing to sort of give uh, in terms of this. So when we approach spiritual gifts, we're going to approach it honestly and good and in a healthy way, and we're not going to do it in a way that's you know, unpalatable, we're going to do it in a way that's biblical and in a way that is, uh, works for the church, okay? So that's what we're going to be kind of building on next week, and this week we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper, which is communion. 
Um, sometimes it'll be called Eucharist. If you go to a Catholic or an Episcopal or a Lutheran church, it's called Eucharist. Um, right. So what I need is I need somebody to help me read because my voice is not going to do it. So uh, before, oh, I want somebody to read verses 17 through 22. Can anybody read that for me? Seven, okay. Donna, why don't you read that? And but before you do that, I want to give you just a brief introduction to this letter. So 1 Corinthians, uh, how many of you guys read 1 Corinthians before? A few of us? Good. Oh, wow, a lot of us. Good. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter. It's literally a letter. I mean, it's like, you, if you wrote, nobody writes letters anymore. If you wrote an email, right, and somebody took that email and they printed it in a book, that's what this is like, right? It's a letter that was written to a specific church in the, state of Cor- in the city of Corinth. Just stretching. Okay, cool. In the city of Corinth, uh, there was a church that the Apostle Paul had founded some years before. And he had heard about some of the issues that they were having. So he says, I'm going to write a letter. So he sat down, he wrote a letter to that church, and it's called 1 Corinthians, and we have it in our Bibles. And uh, it was a church that he had planted some time before, and it was a church that was experiencing some troubles. And we're going to hear about one of the troubles that they had been experiencing. So Donna, go ahead and read verses 17 through 22. Thank you. We're going to cover the next section next, but that's, that's Paul at his angriest. Um, and what he's upset about, what is it that's going on at this church that he's so upset about? Let's imagine this scenario. So in the first century, this book, was, by the way, was written about 55 AD. So you're talking about the very first century. You're talking about the first and second generations of Christians, of Christian believers, and of churches. Um, and what Paul is describing is uh, every week, Basically, what Christians would do in the first century, they'd gather together, usually in a home or at the synagogue. They would read some, a little bit out of the Bible, and then they would eat a meal together. And the meal was the Lord's Supper. That was communion. It was the time when we remember what Christ has done for us through his sacrifice. And that has been one of the oldest institutions that Christianity has done. And we're going to practice that today. We're going to take communion together. And it dates back to the very founding of our faith. And from that time until now, through 2,000 years of history and across the entire world, Christians everywhere do this uh, together. And so it's a very important thing that we do. But Paul is very upset, right? He, he's describing this situation basically like this. What happens is everybody kind of brings food. It's kind of like a potluck meal. So you show up at this person's house and you bring food. And just like today, back then, you would have people from different socioeconomic backgrounds present in the church. Some people in the church are wealthy. Some people in the church are poor. There's some that are in between in the middle, but in the first century, you're either really wealthy or you're really, really poor. Uh, and you're basically starving if you're really poor. And so um, they would gather together, they would share food, and they would eat the meal together. But what is Paul describing? He's saying when you gather together, some of you are there just to eat your own food. 
In other words, the wealthy people among you, the people who have the means to provide food, are bringing food and not sharing it. You're off by yourself, at a table by yourself, eating your food together, while the people in your church who can't afford to bring food have nothing to eat. And you can imagine this happening. You can imagine somebody saying, oh, hey, I bought a new bottle of wine. I'm going to bring it to communion. I'm going to share it with you. It's going to be great. And that person says, well, you know, should we share it with the other people there? No, you know, they should bring their own wine, really, honestly, right? They should be responsible for their own, their own wine, you know. Or like, oh, man, you know, I, I got a new harvest of grain in. I got five loaves of bread. They're delicious. I'm going to bring them to Sunday. We're going to eat them together at the Lord's Supper. It's going to be great. Okay, well, you know, should we invite some of the other people in the church to share with us? You know, this is my bread. I get to do with my bread what I want to do with it. If they wanted to bring bread, they could bring bread, you know. Oh, you know, I, I, bought, a, I bought a new pig, and we're roasting it, and I'm bringing it on Sunday. We're going to eat together. It's going to be great. Oh, what about, what about the people that don't usually bring food? Well, you know, they should probably get jobs, and then that way they'd have enough money to buy their own pig and bring it themselves, right? And that sort of callousness uh, I wish it could say that it, it's, it's completely left the church, but it is still exists in some form or another. And Paul's very upset about this. He's very upset because I think sometimes approach church, sometimes we approach church, sometimes we approach fellowship with an idea from the world, which is life should be fair. Everything I put into it, I should be able to get out of it. Guys, I gotta tell you what, a family is not fair. Families are not fair. You think about this, what, is you, what, do, what do babies contribute financially to families? <laughs> Honestly, here you have a creature which is the biggest money pit in your family. You got diapers, you got specialty foods, you got clothes that they immediately grow out of or throw up on. There's the cleaning costs, and on top of the financial burden, they're keeping you up at night, right? They get sick and then get you sick, right? And at the same time, they contribute no finances. In fact, it's illegal for them to contribute finances. What's up with that, right? Families are not fair. That's not how they function. Families function on love. Families roll on love. So when Paul's talking to this church, he's basically saying, you people who are wealthy and you're bringing food to eat by yourselves, guess what? It's not fair. It's not supposed to be fair. And he goes on. So here we go. I want to read this next section for you. Verses 23 to 26. Who wants to read it? Can somebody read that for me? Sylvia, verses 23 to 26. Now this is the part that you're going to recognize. This is a common part. Go ahead. Saying, 
Thank you, Sylvia. This is the earliest reference we have to the Lord's Supper uh, within the church. This was, so Paul wrote this letter before the Gospels were written. Uh, Paul's letters are the earliest documents we have uh, in Christianity, the oldest ones. So when Paul says, I, re- I am giving to you what I received uh, from the Lord, what he's actually saying is that this is a tradition that the church is doing. This is Every church is doing this, and I'm a part of that tradition as well. I've learned this from other people. I've seen this happen. I'm delivering to you now that thing that I've seen. So a lot of times when we think about the Lord's Supper, we, we think of it chronologically because we start with the Gospels. And Jesus, of course, the night he was betrayed, sits down with his 12 disciples and he eats a meal with them. And we sort of look at that and we say, okay, that's kind of what this is built on. But actually the church was doing the Lord's Supper before the Gospels were written. It was one of our, like I said, one of our very earliest things that we did as a church. And so Paul gives them this this message. He delivers them. I am giving to you that which I also received from the Lord, that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he broke it, he, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body that is for you. And Paul explicitly here, and, and you kind of miss it if, you, if you're just reading in English, because in English we don't distinguish between a singular you and a plural you, right? So if you're talking to a group of people, I could say you, or if I'm talking to Richard, I could say you, except for you're in the South, right? In the South, you say y'all and you, right? In Greek, there's a different word for singular you and plural you. And Paul uses the word for plural. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, this is my body broken for you. When we begin to approach God, and there's a, there's a wonderful, beautiful, individual experience that we have, that we get to have with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. But never, ever lose sight of the fact that when Jesus has a personal relationship with you, he also has a personal relationship with you. And this, you, should never come at the expense of this. All right? So when Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, he means all of you. And when we gather together to celebrate that during communion, if you're off by yourself eating your own food as if the relationship you have with Jesus is is so individualized that you need to be by yourself and ignoring the you of the church, you're, fi- you're going to find yourself quickly outside of fellowship, outside of the will of God. Church, we have to be together. We need each other. I, I am a huge fan of uh, people wanting to get alone with Jesus. I'm a huge fan of people you know, finding and discovering their personal relationship with Jesus. Huge fan of that. But it cannot come at the expense of meeting together. Jesus died for all of us. And we as a body, as a group, as a family, we need each other. And we need to be with each other to celebrate life together. All right? To help each other, to lift each other up and encourage each other. So you never comes at the expense of you. Okay. All right, I received from the Lord that which I handed to you, that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and he, when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body for you. Do this and remember me. And he takes a cup of wine and does the same thing. 
This is for you. We have here uh, before us, and we're going to be taking this in a minute, some juice. We stopped using wine in like the, I don't know, probably it was early 20th century. It was when we first started. Um, because there was a strong temperance movement within the U.S. This is all extra stuff, by the way. Um, and a lot of churches were, were interested in that. So we moved away from wine. Uh, and also because we want to respect that there might be people in here who struggle with alcohol. Uh, so we use juice, uh, but you can use wine. Some churches still do use wine. And we have some bread um, also. Uh, but I want to keep on reading. I'm going to read this last section. Before we get to this, there's one more thing that we need to talk about. All right, so who wants to read verses 27 through 34? Go for it, Zach. Thank you, sir. 27 to 34. Yeah, all the way to the end of the chapter. All right, thank you, Zach. All right, now this is a passage I get asked about a lot because it's one of those kind of little bit of scary passages. So uh, he read a a version which said, which is a more literal version, which says, uh, uh, for this reason many of you are sick and some have fallen asleep. That's a a figure of speech that basically means some of you um, have come ill and some of you have died because of you have uh, participated in taking communion in an unworthy manner. And that always kind of, Sets people off a little bit, like, oh, pastor, can I figure out exactly what that means? Because I, I don't want to die. Um, and so I want to kind of just give a little bit of clarity around that, if that's okay with you. Uh, I'm going to kind of give you my perspective on it. Of course, there's a lot of perspectives, but I'm up here with a microphone, so you have to listen to me. So he says, whoever therefore eats the body of our Lord and drinks his blood in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks condemnation basically for themselves they are going to be answerable the message i want to send to you is it's very very important what paul is talking about okay and it's very it's essential it's a very important in fact i would say it's foundational to your faith that if we do not follow paul's instructions here when we approach the lord's supper there is something seriously wrong with our faith okay so i hope that you are keying in a little bit. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. What has Paul been talking about this whole time? Look at the context. He's been talking about how some people at the Lord's Supper are eating food by themselves, eating their own meals by themselves, taking the food, moving to a different area, eating it by themselves, and allowing other people to go hungry. And in, in this time, in the first century, about 40% of 
of the population of the world lived below the line of, uh, what do they call it, sustenance, below the sustenance line, which basically means they are not eating enough food to make their body continue living, right? 40% of the world lives underneath this line. In other words, all things being normal, these people are going to die. And the church in the first century was full of people who were poor because it, it gave them confidence, it gave them a meaning, it gave them light. It was a light for those who were in the darkness. So the poorest people came to the church. And now you have a situation where once a week they get an opportunity to have a full meal. And it's being denied them because some people are deciding they would rather eat it by themselves. So I believe when Paul is saying, don't you know some people among you are ill? They are sick. In fact, there are some people around you that have died. I don't think he's talking about the people over there on the table. I think he's really talking about the people who have been denied food. Imagine what it would mean to have one meal a week that you could rely on. We live in a, in a very prosperous time, in a very prosperous nation. It's hard for us to imagine that. But if you lived in the first century, the Lord's Supper might be your only meal that week. So if somebody in your church decides they don't want to share their food, that literally could be the difference between life and death for you. It's not, it's not exaggerated at all. So when Paul says, you people who are not discerning the body correctly, the body meaning the church body, you people who are not respecting and seeing the people around you who are sick and dying, you drink condemnation to yourself. When you think that you're off there partying, you're getting drunk, you're getting full of food, and they're over here literally dying. And you think that that's acceptable in the church. That is absolutely not acceptable. That's what I say when I, when I, that's what I mean when I say there's something really foundational at stake here. Because when we gather as a body, when we gather as a family, you have a responsibility for one another. Nobody here is responsible only for themselves. You have a responsibility for one another to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to help each other. You, this is my body broken for you. That's a part of what it means to be a Christian. There are no, are no individual Christians. We are a part of a body. Even though we meet Christ individually, we're a part of a body. What does this mean for us? Of course, we're in a very different uh, you know, situation. We're not living in the first century. We don't have that level of sustenance as much. We have government help. People can get help. People can be in family promise and, and what have you. There's ways of people getting food. Um, so there is still starvation in our world, but it's much less than it was in the first century. So, you know, what does that mean for us? Well, I think that this is what it means. When we approach communion, like we are going to do in a minute, um, the way that I have always uh, presented it to us is this is how I do it. I say, if, you're, if you've been here before, this is what I say. I say, uh, if you are hungry for something, come to our table. If you're hungry for food, if you're hungry for an emotional support, if you're hungry for Jesus, if you're hungry for something in your life that's missing, this table is open for you. And it's here for you to eat. Okay? 
But here's the other caveat of that. If you're here sitting next to somebody who's got a need, who needs a prayer, who needs an encouragement, who needs food in a literal sense, who needs something, you have a responsibility for that person. You really do. That's what it means to be a family. And and it's not fair. There are some people among us who are more needy than others. Some people come in and they're like, gosh, I got all my boxes checked, to be honest with you. You know? And some people come here and say, man, I got a lot I need. It's, It's not fair, brothers and sisters. It's a family. Those of us who have need to share with those who don't. And that means sometimes emotional support. That means sometimes a phone call. But you have a responsibility for one another. So can I actually get Jerry? Could you run downstairs and see if the kids want to come up for communion with us? So that's, that's about it. So when we take communion together, ours is not a full meal. We have a potluck every week, which is sort of, I mean every month, which is sort of a, a full meal. Uh, we do that in the last Sunday of the month. Um, but this is sort of a symbolic meal. But we still need to make sure that everyone here is getting their fill. We still need to make sure that there's nobody here who's getting drunk on the Spirit while the person next to them is being deprived of the Spirit. We still need to make sure that, that you're not full of confidence in the Word of God while the person next to you is struggling. You have a responsibility for the person next to you. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to take Paul at his word. And it's, it says, uh, he says, before you take communion, discern. Figure out. Look around you. So before you come up here this morning, uh, we're going to have the kids come up. They're going to help us pray for it. But before you come up for this communion, I want you to look around. Is there somebody around you who is new? Could you connect with that person? Is there somebody around you who you know is going through a difficulty right now? Could you pray with that person? Before you come to this table to feed the soul, your own soul, Look to the people around you and see where the needs are around you. Um, Some of us need food. Some of us just need a phone call. Notice if there's somebody here alone, especially if they have children with them. Um, I was raised by a single mom. How many of you guys came from single-parent households? Anybody? So you know know what it's like. It's not fun. It's not easy. Um, There's nothing exciting about a single-parent household that's hard. So if we have single parents in here, you just, like a laser, you find that person. You take them out to lunch. Give them what they need. Fill their belly and their spirit. Give them some encouragement. Okay? Uh, For those people here who are new among us, uh, welcome. We're so happy you're here. You do not have to be thinking about this. (laughs) This is... This is our, our responsibility as our body to think about you. So if you know that there's somebody new around, you connect with them after service. So I'm going to have the kids come forward. We're going to pray for communion. We're going to take communion. And then we're going to go, come on up, guys. Come on, Alex, you want to come up and help me? Can you come up, buddy? You can, help, you can hold the bread. Huh? Do you want to? Come on up, guys. Come on. You can, guys, if you want to stand here and kind of stand around this area. Come on, come on, come on, come on. So the kids are going to help us pray. You, can you guys help me pray? I, w- I would really appreciate it if you could. I'm going to tell you what to do, okay? It's going to be really, really easy. Okay, ready? So I'm going to want you to... 
I want you to reach out and can you put your hand, put a hand on the table? Whoa, we almost lost all the juice. That was awesome. Put your hand on the table. Can you put your hand on the table? And we're going to pray over the bread and the juice. Would you guys, would you guys reach your hands this way? Let's pray quick. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your body. Thank you so much for your blood. Thank you for the sacrifice that you have made for us. Thank you that you love us so much, Jesus, that you died on a cross for us. Thank you, Lord. Please help us to love you deeper and deeper and to love one another with the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, can you guys say amen? Amen. 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 Good job, guys. All right. All right, so Jim is going to be uh, playing a hymn for us, but let me, let me just reiterate to you, I know we read the passage, but this is a holy moment. This is a good moment. This is a moment where we get to celebrate what Jesus did for us. That Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, sat with his disciples and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it like that. Can you tear that up for me? Don't eat it, though. Can you tear that up for me? You guys can you share it. He broke it, and he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me and what I've done. Thanks, guys. You can put it up there. And after he was done with the bread, he took a cup, and he said, this is my blood. This symbolizes my blood, which I shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, Think about me and remember me. And we do that every time we meet together and celebrate this as a family. Okay, so what I want you guys to do, we also have, by the way, gluten-free crackers in the middle if you're gluten-free. What I want you guys to do, could you help me grab a piece of bread and a cup and you can go back to where your parents are and y'all come up as you will while we're singing our hymn, take some bread, take some juice. This table is open to you. If you have a need in your body, if you have a need in your soul, this table is open to you. So please come and eat. But listen to the needs of the people around you. This is not just about you. This is about what God is doing among us. So, Jim, why don't you lead us in a hymn? Please, as you feel led, come forward and get some bread and juice. Hey, Alex.
Let's all pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this, your family. Yeah, thank you so much for our children. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for one another. I pray that your grace would go with us, Lord. Surround us, Jesus. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Connect with somebody. Hospitality meeting right after church in the office in 10 minutes.